And now, a message from Pastor Josh Carmody. All right, so my hometown, everybody say my hometown. We've been talking about my hometown. There's the graphic right there. And uh, today is our final week. This word hometown, uh, that word means, in case you don't remember, is the town of one's birth or early life, or it's where your primary fixed residence, your, your fixed residence is right now, the address where you get mail. That's your hometown. All right. Um, for me, that's Fort Dodge. For you, that might be uh, somewhere else. I'm not even going to try to list them all. Sometimes I do that, but I don't want to right now. So wherever you live, wherever you put your head down at night, wherever you get your mail, whatever town that is, that's your hometown. And how many of you would agree with me that we should be praying for our hometowns? Amen. We should be praying for our hometowns. We've been talking about how we should pray for our schools and our teachers and our students and pray for our officials and those that work for the city and the government and the the county and the state and how we should be praying for them, right? They put their lives on the line. There's, there's teachers that go to school and, and, and are talking with these kids and kids that come from households that are needing Jesus. And there's all kinds of things and they all meet in one place and they need our prayer. They need our prayer. Last week we talked about our influence. Last week we talked about how we can influence the world around us. And how our hometowns can be places of influence. All right, So you and I, we have a lot to be praying for. We should be praying for our hometowns. How many of you have been doing that? You can be honest. You've been praying for your hometowns? Here's my encouragement to you. Is pray for your hometown even beyond this sermon series. Pray for your hometown, no matter how good things look or no matter how bad things may seem. Pray for your hometown. Pray for your schools. Pray for your government. Pray for the influence. Pray for the reputation of your city. That people would stop calling your city names. That when you hear someone call your city name or or talk bad about your city, talk about the hope. Share the hope with someone who is currently hopeless. They say, there's no hope for this place. I can't imagine raising a kid here. I got to get out of Dodge. Right? Share the hope with them. Share the hope with them that, that there's good things happening, that Jesus loves them, that he cares for them, that he has good things in store for their lives. We should speak good things over our cities. We should speak good things over the people who live here. Amen? Amen. It's weak, but I'll take it. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says this, and you've heard it before. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it again. There's a wide open door. Everybody say wide open. There's a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. All right, so that's what Paul is writing. He said, there's a wide open door for a great work to be done here. And I believe that about our city. I believe that about the people that you come in contact with, that there is a great work to be done here. There's a wide open door that people now, I believe more than ever, are receptive to hear what you have to say about the one who loves you and saved you and has set you free. Because you know what? There's a lot in this world to be afraid of. There's a lot in this world that offers no hope and no chance of a brighter future or things getting better. But we are the light. Like we are the light of the world. And you can't hide this light that we have. You can't hide this light that burns bright in our lives. It must shine and it shines the brightest in the darkness. So we should be encouraged that if things get darker, the Bible said that things will get darker Don't be surprised when this world acts bad, when this world does things that are horrible. We are the light of the world. There's a wide open door for great works to be done here. And today I want us to pray for the households in our community. 
You know, we have no idea what goes on behind closed doors in our community. We have no idea what goes on behind closed doors in our community. Abuse of all kinds, drug use, violence, unchecked mental illness, depression, joy, peace, loving families, kindness, goodness. We have no idea what goes on behind a closed door. We see people walk out, and a lot of times, and we are guilty of this as well, and I know it's true because you're coming to church on a Sunday morning and everybody's yelling in the car, or you're mad, or you're upset about something, and then your wheels hit the parking lot, and magically, you're transformed into a new person. (laughs) All things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Right? It's a miracle. I mean, you don't even have to have anybody else in your car sometimes to be arguing. (laughs) you're just arguing with yourself just mad about who knows what and now it's like I'm at church people are like how are you today I'm great blessed wonderful too blessed to be stressed amen PTL praise the Lord right I mean we know how that works and every day people leave the house neighbors co-workers people we see and they're like hey how you doing oh I'm great I'm fine no problems here But then you go back home and who knows what's actually going on behind closed doors. We really have no idea what goes on, what takes place, what people are thinking, what they're afraid of, what is going well and what's going poor. You could be living right next to somebody and have no idea what's going on. I know at the last house, that, well, a couple houses ago that my wife and I lived in, about a block down, there's a house that about blew up because they were cooking meth. A year or so later, there was a house blocked the other direction. Cops were there with a battering ram knocking down the front door because a fugitive had locked himself inside a friend's house. Friend didn't know it. And the cops were there breaking down the front door. You just don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You just don't know. It was a quiet south side neighborhood, just chilling. Like, no, not a lot of traffic, nothing. But we got a meth house down here. And we got cops blowing out doors down here to get to the fugitives so they can take them to jail. We have no idea what goes on behind closed doors. We should pr- I'm not saying these things to worry you. I'm telling you these things so that we can be praying for our households, praying for our homes and the people that live in it. We can pray that the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit will change households in our hometowns. Amen? Pray that the love of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit can change the households in our hometown. I want to tell you a story this morning, and it's out of Acts chapter 10, uh, bleeds into 11 a little bit. Uh, but it's about a guy named Peter. Everybody say Peter. Peter. And uh, another guy by the name of Cornelius. How many of you heard this story before? Peter and Cornelius. All right, so let's check this out. I'm going to read uh, some scriptures. I'm not going to read it in its entirety because it's an entire chapter. It's like 40-some verses long. Um, But I'm just going to read bits and pieces of it, and we're going to talk about it uh, this morning for a few minutes. So Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 says this. In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. 
All right. So we see in the scripture, we see this guy named Cornelius. Now Cornelius was a Gentile. He was not a Jewish person. All right. So it said here that he was a Roman, uh, he was a Roman army officer who was a captain of the Italian regiment. All right. So he was not Jewish. He was not of the Jewish faith. But what we know about him is that he was in the army and that he was a God-fearing man. He respected God. He admired God. He did his best to live to the standards that God had set out for his life. He prayed to God, and he lived generously. Now, that sounds pretty good, right? Now, Cornelius, who is not of the Jewish faith, who didn't know anything of, of Jesus or the Messiah or any of that stuff, the Holy Spirit, none of that. He was just a God-fearing man, man him and his whole household, right? But he, he, he was generous, and he was a God-fearing man, and he prayed. How many of you think those are pretty good qualities? Here's what I think. I think those should be qualities that we have as Christians, as followers of Christ. Those should be qualities that we have in our lives. That we respect and admire, fear God, and all of our household. And that we give generously of our time, our talents, and our treasure and that we pray to God because prayer changes things. So here's a man who's doing these things, and we didn't read it, but it's in there if you keep on reading. He has a dream, he has a vision from God, and basically he says you need to go and send some messengers to go get this guy named Peter. I have no idea who Peter is, but I'm going to send some people to Joppa to go get this guy named Peter. All right. So he sends them off, and we keep reading in verse, uh, verse 9. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. How many of you ever tried praying while hungry? So check out what happens to Peter when he prays while hungry. <laughs> he says, while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. All right, so as Cornelius gets this vision from God that says, send some people to go get Peter and, uh, you know, let him know that whatever he has to say to us, I just want him to come back and say whatever God puts on his heart to say to us. So while the messengers are nearing the place where Peter is at, he has this vision, he has this dream, he's hungry, he's praying, and he sees this vision of like this sheet where it like comes down and there's all these animals on it. And God tells him, he says, now I want you to kill those and I want you to eat them. Now these are things that they weren't allowed to eat. Maybe there were like pigs on there or snakes or rabbits or stuff like that that the Jewish people were not allowed to eat. And so he sees those things and he says, get up, kill them and eat them. And he's like, no, like that's against the law. Like the, the Jewish law says that we don't eat those kinds of meat. Like you go back and look and read about it and you don't, if their, their hoof is split and this, I mean, there's all these laws and you can't eat this and you can't eat that. And if it rolls around on its belly, don't eat that one. And so there's all this stuff. And so these things are probably on the sheet. And he says, rise up, kill them and eat them. And he says, no, not going to do it. Three times this happens, right? Happens three times. This vision of this, these animals coming down, rise, kill, eat, no, can't do it. Three times this happens. And then it vanishes, and he's done. 
And he's like, wow, we'll read on here in a second. He's just perplexed. It's kind of perplexing. He's like, what does that mean? And God tells him, he says, I don't want you to call anything unclean that I have called clean, right? And so he says those things uh, to him. And God was making a point. He said, don't call something unclean that I have made clean. And he did it three times. Sometimes I repeat myself. Why do I do that? Repetition's the mother of memory. If I want to drive home a point, I repeat it a few times. So this is something that he wants Peter to get, that he wants Peter to understand. Rise, kill, and eat. Oh, no, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Don't call anything unclean if I have called it clean. And so he's struggling with this. He's perplexed with this. And, uh, and so here's where we go from Acts 10, verse 17. Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. So here's Peter trying to figure out this vision. And then the men that Cornelius had sent arrived. And here's what happens. They arrive, they show up, they say, hey, Cornelius is a God-free man. This is what was going on. He was praying, he got a vision. He wanted us to come here, and he wants you to go back with us so that God, whatever God puts on your heart to speak, he wants you to come back with us and speak that to Cornelius and all of his household. Okay? Now, Cornelius is a Gentile. Basically, he is not a Jew. And for Jewish people to associate, like, you read in these scriptures, and it's like they tell him these things, and Peter's like, okay, I'll go with you, and he goes. But that's, this is kind of a big deal. Sure. I mean, the Jewish people, there's these people called Samaritans. You, everybody, anybody ever heard of the Good Samaritan? And Samaritans were basically like a half Jew. They were, they were like a Jewish descent, but not really. They had intermarried with Gentiles. And so anyway, it was not a pure bloodline. They weren't really Jews. And so the Jews saw them as like dogs. Like not even worthy to be alive. So here's a full-blown Gentile. And they have just asked if Peter, a leader in the early church, someone that people look up to and respect and admire, who actually walked with Jesus that people are looking to, and he, they say, come with us. Spend some time with Cornelius, a Gentile, someone who knows nothing of the Messiah and Jesus Christ. Spend some time with him. That'd be like someone coming to us and saying, hey, this abortion doctor really wants to spend some time with you and wants you to speak to him all the things that God would ask you to speak to him. And we'd say, well, that doesn't make any sense. This didn't make any sense to Peter either. Why would something like that, like an abortion doctor, I hope that we are not for abortion here, that all lives are, that God gives life to everybody. We are pro-life from youngest to oldest, that we value and respect the sanctity of a life no matter what. Amen? Amen. And so if someone and said, hey, come hang out with me, come to my house, come eat, come spend time with me, the abortion doctor. Just be like, woohoo, I'm super excited about that. I mean, how many things are you going to have in common? Potentially not very many. I mean, this is how Peter saw Gentile. I mean, they were, you just don't, you don't, we got nothing in common. Like, no thanks. That's kind of how they were treated. And maybe there's something else. I don't know who you call unworthy or who you would not want to spend time with. Maybe you have a prejudice toward a certain group of people. I know some of you, if Donald Trump showed up at your house, some of you would open him, welcome him in, arms wide open, and embrace him fully. 
Some of you would be like, dude, you're on the wrong doorstep. And I don't care which one you are. Whoever is in charge, you would have that split, right? Whoever you're prejudiced towards, whoever you feel is not worthy of the love and the respect of the love of Jesus Christ, and say, I don't want to tell that person about Jesus. There's no way Jesus loves that person. That person, back to the abortion doctor, kills people for a living. How on earth could Jesus love that person? I mean, there's got, it doesn't say it in here, but we've got to think about this, that Peter, who's a Jew, is being asked to go to a Gentile's house. I mean, he's being asked to go somewhere where it's like, we just don't hang out. We don't spend time together. This just is not done. Like, we got nothing in common, man. You are unclean. You are unworthy. You are unlovable. You see where I'm going with this? There's people in our communities that we think that towards. Our neighbors, those people... Those people who have this problem and that problem and look at how bad they are. What? Cool. I don't know if you had something to add. So, and we see it and we're like, those people. They're not worthy. I'm just going to like steer clear. Like, I don't get them. I don't understand them. I, I mean, if Jesus loves them, he can send someone else to talk to them. He can send someone else to pray for him and love on him because that ain't me. That's not my ministry. I ain't doing that. Forget it. Remember, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. And if we judge, if we never take that step and say, all right, Peter said, all right, I'll go with you. But what if he hadn't? I mean, he probably wouldn't have been in here. Obviously, he was being obedient. He just had that vision. He's like, oh, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean huh, maybe God's trying to tell me something. Like maybe God's trying to tell me that, well, he wants me to go to a Gentile house. Maybe he's trying to tell me that everybody could be loved by Jesus and that everybody's worthy. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I doubt it, but maybe. I mean, think about what Peter's going through. So he agrees and he goes. And in Acts 10, 24, we pick up. They arrived, Peter goes with them, and they arrived in Caesarea the following day, and Cornelius was waiting for them and called together his relatives and friends. And as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. He was confused. But Peter pulled him up and said, Stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. And Peter told them, You know, it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. (laughs) He's like, I'm here, but just so you know, I don't want to be here. That's what he's saying, right? But, look at this. But God, everybody say, but God. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. So he shows up and Cornelius starts worshiping him. (laughs) Cornelius was a little confused, right? But I love this about Peter. I mean, I don't love that he said, you know, I'm not supposed to be here and like we're not supposed to get along. I'm not even supposed to associate with you. I mean, I'm not super happy he said that, but I get where he's coming from. But I love what he said. He said, I'm a man just like you. What did he do? He found common ground. He found common ground. You're like, there's no way. I cannot find common ground with those people. 
I mean, have you ever made a mistake? I bet they have too. I mean, do you breathe air? I bet they do too. I mean, do you wear clothes? I bet they do. I hope they do too. Are we really that different? So I love that. He says, I don't worship me. I'm just a man. I love how Peter said, I am just a man just like you. He didn't say, I'm a Jewish man. You're a Gentile man. I'm better than you. He said, I'm a man just like you. He found common ground. I'm not better than you. I am just like you. I mean, how much would things change? Could things change? Imagine how much could change if we just approach life was like, I'm just a person just like you. I'm working on me just like I pray to God that he's working on you too. I'm not better than you. I'm not worse than you. I'm only different than you. And that's okay because God hasn't called us to be the same. He's called us to be together. He hasn't called us to be identical. He hasn't called us to uniformity. He's called us to unity. He's called us to love one another without exception because that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so he shows up and he says, I'm not worthy of being worshipped. I'm a person just like you. And so Cornelius said, please, because that's what Peter asked. He said, so now you tell me, why did you send for me? And he said, I want you to tell me all the things that God's commanded you to tell. So check this out in Acts 10.36. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel. That there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea and beginning in Galilee after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did through Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Wow. So Peter brings the fire. He says, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about who Jesus is. And he says he was, he, was, he was born in Galilee and you've seen all the ministry and all that he was, has done and how the Holy Spirit has empowered him and given him power and how he, was, he died for us and how he rose again the third day. And God allowed him to appear, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. You know, sometimes we get to the point where like, well, I don't know what to say to somebody if I ever, like, they want to, know who, what do I say about who Jesus is? Man, read them Acts 10. Like that, that was, that was four, five, six verses. If you remember Acts 10, 36, and you just read them that chunk, I mean, it's pretty nicely summarized there. This is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus did. This is why I believe in Jesus, because those who believe in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. That's how we share the hope. That's how we say, I am a sinner just like you. But Jesus loves me and he forgave me. I chose to believe in him so that my sins, the wrong things that I've done, could be forgiven. So that I could be given a new life. Listen, God wants that for you too. I mean, is that weird to talk about? 
I mean, we could tell our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. We could just read them a little passage and say, you know what, I'll be praying for you. If you ever need anything, let me know. If you ever want to talk about this, let me know. I'm here for you. Jesus loves you. So Peter talked about who Jesus is and what he did while he walked on this earth. And he said that everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. And check out what happens immediately after that in Acts 10.44. Even as Peter was saying these things, there's no time for an altar call or anything. Like, who's ready to receive Jesus this morning? As soon as, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed. Remember, they came, walked into this with a little prejudice. They were amazed, lost my spot, that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. So that's an awesome story. The entire household of Cornelius was changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit instantly fell on them. They began speaking in other tongues and they were baptized. Man, that's cool. All because Peter was obedient to no longer call somebody unclean. No longer would he say they are not worthy of God's love. They are, no longer, they are not worthy to be loved by Jesus. Look what happened when he was obedient. Look what happened when he stepped into a home, when he talked to some people, when he shared the love of Jesus Christ with them. The Holy Spirit fell and lives were changed. I want you to know something. The Holy Spirit did in an instant what Cornelius could never do on his own strength. You remember Cornelius loved God. And Cornelius read the Bible. And Cornelius gave generously. And his whole household had fear and reverence and awe of God. But the Holy Spirit did in an instant what Cornelius could never do on his own strength. The Holy Spirit gave him power, filled him completely when he believed and accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And I want you to know something. The Holy Spirit continues to do in an instant what we could never do on our own strength. You're not hearing me this morning. The Holy Spirit continues to do in an instant what we could never do on our own strength. And because of that, there is hope. There is hope for our hometowns and the households in it. There is hope. Not because of who we are, not because of what we do, but because the Holy Spirit in an instant can do what we can never do on our own strength. We say, no, Josh, it's too far gone. No, it's not. Nobody is ever too far gone. Nobody until you're dead. And even that, that's between them and God. <laughs> that's a whole nother topic. But as they're alive and breathing, they are not too far gone. They aren't. They are not too far gone. The Holy Spirit can do in an instant what they could, man, struggle through for years and decades and the majority of their life. And there is no hope and there is no help but you know what? There is hope and there is help. It's the Holy Spirit. And in an instant, lives can be changed. And after this happened, Peter believed that the gospel 
should be presented to everyone. But there were some of his friends in Judea, some fellow Christians, they got mad. So what are you doing? You can't go to those people and tell them about the love, like those people? Like Jesus doesn't love them. Oh yeah, Peter says, he does. So here's what happened. Peter told them exactly what happened. They were mad. They're like, this can't happen. This is not good. Remember what Paul said? He said, there's a wide open door for work to be done right here in this place, although many oppose me. So Peter's getting flack from his fellow Christians because the Holy Spirit fell and saved a whole bunch of people and they're mad about it. This makes no sense. So he says, listen, here's what happened. Let me give you the play-by. Here's what happened. And then in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting. I think we could do a little less objecting sometimes. They stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. You should say amen because you're a Gentile. (laughs) We see that God has also given the Gentiles. You just put your name in there. We can see that God has also given... You guys didn't get it. We can see that God has also given... Thank you. The privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. God loves everyone. He sent Jesus to die for everyone. So what does this have to do with praying for our households and our hometowns? Here's the thing. Stop passing judgment on how others live their lives. Stop passing judgment on how others live their lives. God loves them as much as he loves you. God died for them just like he died for you. Let me say this again. Stop passing judgment on how others live their lives. When we're obedient to pray for others, when we're obedient to tell our neighbors and our coworkers and those who we find ourselves interacting with, when we're obedient to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ, I got news for you, the Holy Spirit can work in their lives. Say, "Uh uh-uh, you don't know him. I don't have to know him. The Holy Spirit can work in their lives. God has given everyone. Someone say everyone. I think we need to remember this. God has given everyone. God has given everyone, every person, every single person the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. We should be praying for everyone that God would get a hold of their lives and that they would be changed. Well, my neighbors aren't God-fearing individuals. Cornelius was a God-fearing individual. My neighbors don't know anything of God. Well, then pray for them and give them a good example that they can look up to. My neighbor pushed all of his leaves into my lilac bushes. All of them. Why? 
I don't know. So what did I do? I blew him back. No, I didn't. <laughs> you know what I did? I went out and bought a really big leaf blower. I'm not kidding. I bought it yesterday. And I blew the crap out of those leaves. And now they're gone. They're not in his yard. They're not in mine. I blew them into the woods. That's what I did. So I got rid of his leaves for him because those were a chore for him. And you know what he did when he drove by? He was just staring at me. He was just, yesterday, he was just staring at me. He was like, what is he doing? He looked at the bushes. I mean, he knows what he's doing. And he looked at those bushes, kind of looked at me, he kept driving. I think he was a little disbelief. But you know what? That's a good Christian example. I didn't go over there and yell at him. I didn't say, why did you dump half a tree onto my property? Rude. I blew the leaves. It's something that simple. I got rid of them. You're welcome. So now he knows. He's like, oh, this guy, maybe he's not like me because I've talked to my neighbor and he's more of a tit for tat kind of a guy. You do this, I get you back. I don't like this, I'll throw up a fence. I don't like this, I'll throw rat poison or whatever. I mean, the guy is just, I'll do what I got to do. So I don't want to mess with him anyway. <laughs> but I figured, you know what? I'll move his leaves for him. If that's the way that I can minister and be a good example of who Jesus is on this earth, getting rid of someone's leaves who obviously doesn't want to mess with them, I can do that. We can look for opportunities. Amen? So in closing, sorry, I talked entirely way too long. Here we go. Let me read you a couple verses. Proverbs, nope, Isaiah 32. <laughs> Here's some things we can pray over our homes and over our neighborhoods. Isaiah 32, 18. <laughs> My people will live in a peaceful neighborhood in safe houses and quiet gardens. Amen? Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. It takes wisdom to build a house and understanding to set it on a firm foundation. It takes knowledge to furnish its rooms with fine furniture and beautiful draperies. Amen. And I want to say this. I've said some of this the entire chapter before, but I just want a few verses this morning. Psalm 91, verse 1 to 7. You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow, say this, God, you're my refuge. I trust you, and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps and shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them, you're perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing, not wild wolves in the night, not flying arrows in the day, nor disease, not disease that prowls through the darkness or disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around you and drop like flies right and left, no harm will even graze you. Amen? Pray those scriptures this week over your home, over your neighbors, over the households of this community. For more information on New Covenant, contact us at 3318 Fifth Avenue South, Fort Dodge, Iowa, 50501. Or you can call us at 515-955-6222.